Um, today, we are continuing our series that we started last Sunday called Made to Relate, uh, life's, uh, Biblical Wisdom for All of Life's Relationships. Now, last week, we talked about singleness. It's something you probably haven't heard preached very often, and so if you want to hear, hear that sermon, you can go online and listen to it. Um, today, we're continuing the series, talking, preaching on another topic you probably haven't heard preached on often, which is friendship. What does scripture say about friendship? How can we be good friends to one another? Now, uh, I, what's interesting for, for many of us is that when we're kids, we kind of view our life and what, what's gone on in our life as like the normal thing for everybody. And then you get a little bit older and you realize people had different experiences. And then you can reflect on whether you had a really good childhood, a neutral childhood, a really bad childhood. But in the moment, it just kind of seems like this is how it is for everybody. Now, for me, I, I was very blessed and had a great childhood. When I was a kid, we lived in a, a neighborhood where there was tons of family. So there's kids all over the place. We played all the sports. We played baseball in my backyard with tennis ball. We played football at my friend Kyle's house. We played roller hockey in one of the cul-de-sacs. I mean, we played everything. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Not only did we have a lot of kids, but there was five of us boys in my neighborhood who were all, we were all the same age. And so we all, there was always something to do, always someone to hang out with. And what's interesting is that when you are a kid and you're growing up and you're in school, your life, your, your life pretty much seems to be your friends, right? If you have a lot of friends, life's going well well, if you don't have many friends, life's not going well, if people are making fun of you, if people are bullying you, like, it's, we're, our lives are, like, it's like we cannot even survive. Like, I grew up in the age of, with uh, AOL Instant Messenger and MySpace, and, like, people talking about in, like, the little profile things, like, I couldn't live without you, who would I be without you? And I'm like, you'd be the same person you just wouldn't hang out with. That's what I, you know, your MySpace top eight, it was such a big deal, right? Your, your friends were everything. They were everything. And then as we've all experienced, as you get a little bit older, as you get out of middle school, high school, if you go to college, as you uh, get out of college, your life changes, your priorities change, and your, the number of friends that you have seems to dwindle. It seems to go down. Now, we talk a lot about relationships in the church and outside of the church in terms of marriage and all these things, which are really important. There's books, there's counseling, there's sermons, there's conferences on dating and marriage and, and all these things, which are great. There's even a lot of parent-child relationship resources for how to parent your kids and love your kids and do all of these things. Yet, we seldom study about the relationships that can really make or really break us, and that is our friends. Now, it's interesting is that when you have friends to hang out with, people in your life that care about you, that you can go on vacation with or share a meal with or hang out with or do life with, life can be great. In fact, some of our greatest sorrows in our life come from friends who wound us or hurt us or when we feel like we don't have any friends at all. Or when we don't feel accepted, right? Friends are so impactful in our life for better or for worse. And yet we all know how hard it can be to make friends. And it's interesting, like when you're a kid, it's like, I'm seven and you're seven. Like that's, we, we didn't have everything in common because we're both seven, right? Or like Roman, who's my four-year-old son. It's like, you're a little kid and you have a, if you have a ball, he's like, you have a ball. I love playing with balls. I don't know what we're going to do with this thing, but we're best friends right now. And then you get a little bit older and it's like, I'm 41, you're 41. That's okay. Or it's like, I'm 52, you're 52. Or it's like, hey bro, I saw that you have a basketball in your front seat. I love why are you looking at my front seat? Like, what are you doing? Like, it's, just, it's like, it's not the same. Like, you can't just walk up to someone and be like, let's be friends. Like, everything's amazing. It's different as you get older. It can be really hard to find friends. But yet, friends are so important. In fact, almost anything bad in your life can be made sweeter with friends. 
and almost anything good in your life can be a terrible if you do not have any. This is the importance and the impacts of friends. And so the question for us this morning is this, do you have real friends? Do you have real friends? What do real friends look like? We're going to look in the book of Proverbs this morning. The, the scriptures will be on the screen in a second. Um, you can fo- open the Bibles and follow along, or you can just read the verses because we're going to kind of be a little bit all over the place. But do you have real friends? And what does it look like to be a real friend to somebody else? What does it look like to be a friend? One of my favorite definitions of friendships is this. Friendships are created by repeated and spontaneous interaction. Repeated and spontaneous interaction. Uh, This is why when you are in school, you have the most amount of friends because you keep going to the same place over and over again. The same group of people keep going to the same place going over and over again. You have different classes. And so you're seeing sometimes hundreds of people a day. This is why, again, in grade school, you have a lot of friends. And the older you get, the less places you go, the less amount of people you uh, spontaneously or continuously run into. And so the pool of friends gets smaller. And it makes it even more difficult for us today because being adult today in our culture is not created for friendship, right? We work from home more than ever before, which has its benefits, but we see less people. Uh, We have heat and air conditioning, which is amazing, but it makes us not need the help of others to stay warm or to stay cool. We don't need to sit on the front porch anymore when it's hot in the summertime because we have AC. We don't need to hang around a fire or go someplace to keep us warm because all of us individually in our apartments and our townhomes and our houses can do that. Well, we, we can do every, all, all our necessities that we need, we all individually have. We drive alone in our cars everywhere we go. Even in massive urban settings, you walk everywhere you go. You take public transportation, but there's so many people. Everyone's got the earbuds in. Nobody's really communicating with one another. And all of our entertainment options via technology are great, but it means we can distract ourselves by ourselves. We have high mobility rates, which is great that we can move to wherever we want to move to, and it's easier to move from place to place. But when we do so, it prohibits deep relationships because those take years to develop. It's easier, and it's often done more often now, to flake out than ever before because I'll just send a text saying I just can't come. Or I'll just let you know an hour before the event because all I have to do is send you a text whether or not I can come. We, We are much less likely to commit to plans because we don't have to. We can get out of things a lot easier, and so we are around people even less. Even family activities, which they are good, can take up a lot of time with the various extracurricular activities your children may find themselves involved in. Good things... But again, things, again, that take us away from others and can make us hard to form friendships. And so what happens today is we know a lot of people. Social media online can give us this false sense of that. We all know that. And we have a lot of acquaintances. We have acquaintances. We have a lot of companions. But we have so few friends, people that we can hang out with, that we enjoy, that give us life. In fact, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 puts it this way. Many a, person's, a person proclaims his own loyalty. But who can find a trustworthy person? Who can find a really good friend? So today, again, I just want to look at a few Proverbs in Scripture to see the importance of and how to create friendships if we want to be a people with good friends. Uh, Proverbs 18 verse 24 says it this way, One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Now, what's interesting about this verse is we remember Proverbs, the ancient Israelites, this verse was written in a culture far more 
family-centric than ours. So in this culture, family was everything. It was your survival. It was your uh, income. It was everything you knew. And, and so it's interesting to read a verse like this because it might, this verse sounds like something that we would say today. Like, friend, fam, family's important, but our friends, man, we get to choose our friends. They're the ones that are with us no matter what. And so the question is why would even the author of Proverbs here include this verse when it seems to say a friend can actually be more important than a family member in a culture where family was everything? Well, I think because it goes on to say this in a different part of Proverbs in 17, 17, the author writes this, a friend loves at all times <coughs> and a brother is born for a difficult time. In other words, what I think is saying here is that siblings and family will be there in, in adversity. Now, generally speaking, of course, there's family issues and splits and all that sort of thing. But generally speaking, your family will show up when you need it. In fact, sometimes tragedy brings fractured families together because they know they have to support and to love one another. That there is care, there is loyalty, there is history in family. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they like you or want to hang out with you. It's just because you're family. And a friend, what it's saying in 1717, a friend is someone who has chosen you. They've chosen you. In fact, the word uh, stays, so in verse 18, uh, chapter 18, 24, a few verses ago, where it says there is a friend who stays closer than a brother, the word stays there is actually literally, if you were to literally translate it, you would translate it as the word cleave. And cleave is a commitment out of a passionate love. A true friend has committed themselves out of a passionate love for you. And so in many ways, a friend, sometimes a good friend can be better than a sibling because they've chosen to be there and they want to be there even though they do not, do not have to be there for you. And so what you see in the book of Proverbs uh, really shows us there is something uh, unique about friendship. Uh, it brings something into your life that family, that romance, that neighbors, or anything else cannot actually bring. Now, the thing about uh, friendship is that, unfortunately, although it's so important, it's not a necessarily a necessity to live. And so it's really easy for us to put friendship on the back seat, even though it's actually quite irre irreplaceable to a joyful life. That our culture today is highly individualistic and, and also erotic. It's romanticized, it's sexualized, and it's do whatever you want to do. And so that's what sells. That's what we focus on, that we think will liberate us. If I can just pursue what I want when I want it, no matter what anyone else might say, that will make me happy. Right? Magazine covers, for example, are not showing us the latest gossip of who's best friends with who. Did you see, they love each other, hanging out all the, that's not, nobody cares about that. It's who is sleeping with who. That is what it's about. Or if we stacked all of the songs about romantic love and then stacked all the songs about friendship against one another, they would not be anywhere near close. Or what's interesting, uh, the, the one block, blockbuster trilogy, it seems, uh, that has been made about, uh, that has not been made where romance at all was a singular focus, but in or family or anything else, but friendship, was actually probably the Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings is one of the main blockbuster multi-done movies where one of the main themes is not sexual romance. It's not like high-flying action. It's, it's actually friendship. The beauty of friendship is one of the main themes in the Lord of the Rings about these, like I say guys, I guess they're not really guys, but they, they love each other. They serve one another. They sacrifice for each other. Now, what's interesting is that all the romantic stuff in the Lord of the Ring books, if you were to read the books, are actually in the appendices. 
They're actually in the back of the book. They're not really a main part of the story at all. But for Hollywood, when they pulled this story out of, you know, the, out of the books and made it into a movie, they actually kind of make it front and center. The love affair between Aragon and Arwan, if you remember, are, were actually in the appendices of the Lord of the Rings books. They were not a main focus at all, but it's not so in the movies. Now, why? Because we aren't excited about friendship. And of course, it makes sense. There's something different about romantic love than friendship love. I get it. But for Tolkien, that is actually what the books were all about. They were about friendship. In fact, C.S. Lewis uh, was a contemporary and a friend of Tolkien, author as well. In his book on the four loves, he talks about friendship and he puts it this way. Friendship is the least natural of the loves the least instinctive, the least organic, biological, gregarious, and necessary. It has the least commerce with our nerves. There is nothing throaty about it, nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. In other words, friendship can seem boring, less exciting than these other things. And so what this means, and what he talks about in the book, is that your erotic love is a type of love, and it's important. And if you didn't have erotic love, you and I would not exist. We would not be here. If it wasn't for the love of family, you wouldn't have been raised and reared and trained, right? The family loves you. This is important. We wouldn't have grown up if we didn't have the love of family. If not for a neighbor or a communal love, you wouldn't survive. And so things like crime and economic hardship and education that when communities have taxes or however their structure is to pay for the good of the community, you need the love of the community so that the community can thrive, and so what can happen in a busy culture like ours is that all these other loves and desires push themselves upon us, necessarily so, because we need them to survive. But you have to choose, friends. You have to choose friendship. Your family, you need to take care of. Romance, so many of us crave it. Your civic duties have our jobs and our networks. We need those to live, but friendship has to be chosen. It's why the book of Proverbs continually says that fools will either perish for lack of friends or for our choosing poor ones. Uh, we walk around, and, and it's interesting, we walk around in our culture saying, I am who I choose to be. Whatever I want to be is who I'm going to be. And yet we all know that that is not true at all. Here's who you are, okay? In the early stages of your life, you are who your family makes you to be. That's who you are. And then as the rest of your life, as you continue to grow, you are what your friends make you or what your community makes you. You may have desires and things like that, but how you dress, your interests, what you look like, the places that you go, how you style your hair, all of this is heavily influenced by the community that you are in. It's your community that forms you, which is why it's so crucial for it to be a good one. In the early days, it's your family that shapes you, and now it's your friends, or it's the people around you, or it's your culture. And the book of Proverbs says that you will perish for a lack of or for wrong friends. In fact, the adage is true. You probably have heard this, that show me your five closest friends or maybe the five people that you spend the most time around, and you can easily figure out who you are. The five people that you spend the most time around easily make, figure out who you are. What's interesting is I actually see this all the time. So Christine and I have been in a number of weddings between the two of us. And now as a pastor doing a number of weddings, it is so fascinating to me. And this is a, this is, there has never been an exception to this. So most wedding parties, if you have one, are about four to eight people, let's say. There has not been a single time where the bride and the groom were not a collection of their wedding party. Like their interests and their personality and the things that they say, the way that they dress. And what's interesting to me as, as a pastor, not just that, but their spiritual condition. And I remember, this, and this is not a judgment at all. This is just an observation. I have found that in a wedding party, let's say the groom, if he has at least two, 
people in his wedding party who take their faith seriously, there is a good chance, depending on the size, but there is a good chance that this person takes their faith seriously. Not that they all have to be like super on fire for Jesus, but it's clear that some of these guys, like their faith matters to them. And those that have no one in their wedding party that seem to take their faith seriously, 10 times out of 10, the room or the bride will be the same way. But why? Because we are the collection of our friends. If we don't have people close to us that think that this is important, we are not going to think that it is important. I see this all the time. In fact, this is what Proverbs 13:20 is saying when it says this, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Maybe you could put it this way, that friends aren't neutral. Friends aren't neutral. They are either a net negative or a net positive in your life. You are either a net negative or a net positive in the life of someone else. They are not neutral. They will either build us up or tear us down, depending on who we spend the most amount of our time with and how they influence us. This is why friendship and the right friends and the right community are so important. Now, there's a lot of different ways you could define what friendship is. One of my favorites from Tim Keller, who is a pastor and a theologian in New York City, he defined finds four markers of a true friend. And the question is to ask ourselves about whether we are doing these for anyone else or if we have anyone else doing this for us. Now, these markers are, are you're not going to have 20 people in your life that you do this for or that do it for you. It's really, do I have any? Do I have one, two, three people that I could say, yes, this is, we are doing this to one another. Here are marks of a true friend. First one is this, constancy. Constancy, someone, in other words, that is always with you, that is consistent, that isn't going to leave you. Again, we read this earlier, but in 1717, it says that a friend loves at all times. They are constantly there. Now, what does this mean? It means that in the good and the bad, a friend is there. That they stick closer than a brother. Now, most of our relationships, if we're honest, exist on the foundation of usefulness, right? You help me get things done, solve a need, have a good time, a network in some way. It doesn't mean you don't like the person, but most of our relationships, at least in some way, there is a benefit for us to be around this other person. They are beneficial for you in some way and vice versa. But a friend is there because they have deliberately chosen to be. Because they have chosen to be. They are there for you. They fight for you. They are there when the chips are down and you can't offer anything. Right? This week, I was completely useless. And I had friends that I couldn't offer nothing to, seeing how they could help or how they could give us a meal. A friend is someone who is constant, who is there even when you don't have much to offer. There's, there, there's constancy. The second thing is this, carefulness. That there is a deep caring for one another. That they care for you and you care for them. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 puts it this way, like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows, so is the person who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Now, what you see here is a man who is emotionally disconnected. He doesn't know you enough to know what he says and does actually hurts you. And so he says things and he makes jokes and he realizes it's wrong. He's like, oh, I was just kidding. Oh, I didn't mean that. I think all of us have done this or it has happened to us, people we're around who have done things to us or have made these jokes and they don't realize, oh, that really impacts me or that really hurts me because of things that I've experienced when you say that. And then they kind of brush it off. I was like, oh, I was only kidding. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. They don't know you enough. They, don't, they haven't cared for you enough to know that this is really impactful. Or uh, Proverbs 25, 20 says it this way. Singing songs to a troubled heart is like taking off clothing on a cold day or like pouring vinegar on soda. 
Now, interestingly, singing referenced here is to singing of songs of joy. So it's talking about singing songs of joy and excitement. Again, emotionally disconnected to you how they, is how they are feeling. And so a friend, in other words, is impacted how, by how you feel. If you are in a difficult spot, if you are sad, well, that will make them sad in some way too, right? A great sign of a friend is how your emotional state impacts them. A great sign of a friend is how your emotional state impacts theirs. That when you grieve or when you celebrate, it causes the same emotions within them. A great example of this, like this is literally the essence of parenting, right? Once you have a child, you realize, or children, you realize for the rest of your life, you are only as happy as your unhappiest child. And the older your kids get, the more you could say you agree to that. Why? Because automatically, whether or not you want to do it or like it, you are emotionally connected to your children. You're emotionally connected to them. You are, in other words, emotionally vulnerable. You can't sing songs when their hearts are heavy. It just can't happen. Like you, you just, there's, you are, it's physically impossible for you to be, feel amazing if you have a child who is suffering. And this is what is so amazing, and yet at the same time so scary about true friendship, is that in friendship, you give the emotional connection voluntarily. You have to give this gift of emotional vulnerability voluntarily. And so again, here's how you can tell whether or not you have really let that person come become your friend, or if that person is really your friend, right? That they can't go about singing songs when you are heavy-hearted. It's not that they have to be depressed, but, but, but because of your emotional state, they are deeply impacted by it. It's also, by the way, why you can't really have more than three to five close friends because you just can't do this for everybody, right? You can't live your life and all these emotional highs and emotional lows for 20 people, but you can for one, two, or three. And so close friendship includes this type of carefulness, that you care for one another. Uh, here's the third one, candor. Candor can be described as telling the truth, okay? So you're, you're there, you're constantly, you're, you've committed to one another, you're deeply emotionally invested in one another, and you can tell the truth to one another. Uh, Proverbs 25 or 27 puts it this way, better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. In other words, a friend is someone who is willingly is willing to honestly confront areas of weakness in your life, and it is a good thing that they do so. In fact, the King James Version puts it like this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. In fact, one of the marks, again, of, true friend, of a true friend is willing, to, is willing to do what is hard, which is to lovingly speak into an issue when necessary, when it would have been so much easier to just avoid it. But they care, you care, or your friend cares too much not to say anything. Now, sometimes you might hear someone say, well, I love that person too much to tell them a truth, to tell them a truth that's going to be, they're going to take it really hard, and I, I don't want to hurt them, so I'm not going to say anything. But what that really means is I love myself too much to go through that, because that's not being a good friend. That's not being a good friend. A good friend is willing to have uncomfortable conversations because they love you. And they care enough about your well-being to do it. Uh, Proverbs 29 puts it this way. A person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Now, what does this mean? Uh, if you, here's what it means. If you, instead of being honest with a friend about an issue that you see, 
so that that person can have an accurate view of their strengths or weaknesses or what's going on. You say nothing or you say only what sounds good. You are setting them up for a trap. You are setting them up for a trap. Think for me, for example, the people who cannot sing on American Idol. Like you've all seen those clips, right? It's like their mama or ain't nobody close to enough of them, close to them ever told them you can't sing. Like, no one ever said that. Now, they, probably, they obviously didn't have a lot of truth. Like, nobody was like, you can't do this. And so they, they go and they embarrass themselves. Friendship requires candor. I like to think of it this way. Maybe this is the best uh, way to say it, but I think you'll understand my point. A, a true friend is someone that you can go up to and say, hey, man, you're being an idiot. And they won't feel judged by that. Right? Like, most people, if I walked up to you, be like, hey, you're being so stupid right now. You'd, be, you'd feel a certain way, as you should. But there are certain people in my life that I could do that to. There are certain uh, men in my life that could do that to me that say, hey, Dylan, you are being a complete fool right now. And there is not an, and I, I could receive that knowing they're saying that because they care. You can be honest. Candor requires being honest with one another. It requires the ability to forgive one another when we hurt each other, that we can say, hey, you've hurt me, you've done this, and a true friend would be willing to forgive. We have to be able to be honest. A true friend, friends, or someone who can be really 100% honest with one another. And the last thing is this, is counsel. That you've constantly, you're always there. Carefulness, you're deeply emotionally tied to one another. Uh, candor, that you can be honest with one another. And counsel, that you love and trust each other enough to, to hear feedback and advice from each other. Uh, Proverbs 27, 9 puts it this way. Oil and incense bring joy to the heart. And the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. The sweetness of a friend is better than saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because it makes me happy. I'm going to listen to the wisdom of people who deeply care about me. Now, what's interesting, I, I didn't know this, maybe you didn't as well, a sweetness in the Old Testament is actually almost always a word that has to do with honey. This is why honey is spoke of a lot. Uh, what this is saying is that there is, that real friendship is like sweet food, like delectably sweet food. And here's what's interesting. Uh, one thing that, again, that surprised me to learn is that when you look at the, when the book of Proverbs was written, nobody had man-made sugar yet. It's hard for us to believe because we have sugar in everything. Like you have to be like, you have to like be super intentional not to eat sugar. Or in the ancient world, it's just like, Good luck finding it, right? There, it was not made man-made man at all. It wasn't something people knew how to make, which means people didn't know how to naturally sweeten food. They couldn't do it. And so again, today, you can make almost any food sweet, but back then, you had to discover it. You had to find things like honey, things that were naturally sweet to sweeten your food. Otherwise, it could not be sweetened. Like you didn't just eat sweets like we do today. And so again, what's the point here? The point is just this. It is a great and worthy thing seeking after it to trying to discover and to have a friend who will counsel you. It's like something sweet that is so hard to come by. That you not just find that, but you also invite it into your life and that you listen to it. And so a friend giving you counsel and speaking into your life is better than you just trying to figure it out on your own. It's a pleasant and sweet thing to have such a friend. Or maybe the last work, verse I'll read in Proverbs, and one of the ones that people always talk about friendship in 2717, it says this, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens, in other words, uh, another in other words, the accumulative wisdom that we see in the book of Proverbs is that we need both. We need both encouraging words spoken to us, and we need to be challenged. 
right? Iron sharpening iron is never a pleasant thing. I see it every year, once a year for about five minutes at the NC State Fair. At the little yesteryear place, they got the music playing, whatever, and they've got the little blacksmith and he's like hammering away and there's like all these people in the way, if you know what I'm talking about. That's the only time I see it. I watch it for five minutes and then I'm like, all right, great, that's done, right? But it's like, it's hot and he's like smacking the thing all the time. It is a dangerous, in fact, violent process. It doesn't happen easily. It has to be done intentionally. And the wounds of a friend are not always easy to hear. But without them, we cannot become stronger. We cannot. And so again, here are the four things that make up a good or a close friend. Constancy, that they're, they're going to be there no matter what's going on. Carefulness, that you are emotionally care and invested in one another. How they feel impacts how you feel. A candor that you can be honest with one another, how you're feeling, uh, what, what you want to say, what's going on in your life. If, if you feel like you can't be completely honest or they feel like they cannot be completely honest with you, that's fine. You can't do this with everyone, but that's a sign that they're not a close friend. And then counsel. Do, they give, do you give each other advice? Do you, do you welcome that advice? And then do you heed it when your friends say something to you that you disagree with? Will you actually listen to it if you have a counsel of friends all telling you the same thing? Now, again, this takes, these four things, they take time to develop. And it's hard to create this in a highly mobile culture. Now, it's nothing wrong. There's pros and cons of everything. But in our culture, we go and move and do. It's hard to create this because it takes years. But I also want to say this. It's not the only reason that close friendships are hard to create. It's also because it's just hard to do. I mean, look at how, think about how hard it is to do the things that I just talked about. A friend, a good friend, according to Proverbs, a true friend who's like always there, right? Always lets you in and never lets you down. Like that, that it seems pretty impossible, right? How hard is it to be fully transparent about your weaknesses with somebody? Like how hard is that to do? Even when you know that they care and they won't judge you and they won't want good for you, how hard is it for us to actually be vulnerable with somebody? How hard is it to give the gift of emotional vulnerability, right? To allow ourselves to be shaped by how they're doing, to be honest with how we're doing so that they can comfort us. How hard is it to say, will you be my friend because I don't really have any close friends? How, statistically saying, a lot of us are there right now, but that is so hard and uncomfortable to say to somebody. How hard is it to be unconditionally there for someone when your life is as busy as it is? Like when you've got stuff going, good things going on, family, friends, work, job, good things. How hard is it to be there for other people when life gets in the way? Right? The question for us is where are we going to get the power to be the type of friend that we want so that we can have the type of friends that we need? How can we live in such a way to do this, to attract friends that will do it for us? And so here's how I, uh, here's what I would say. The night before Jesus died, what's interesting is the night before Jesus died, he was trying to get across to his disciples, not just what was going to happen to him, because I still don't fully understand how the Messiah can die if he's supposed to rule and reign, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. So he's trying to get across what it all meant. And in John chapter 14 through 17, you see a lot of discourse between Jesus and his disciples. And he's trying to teach and to explain what's going to happen to him. And it's about the Last Supper, his betrayal, a bunch of teachings from Jesus. And then one of the things he says in order to explain what he was going to do and why he came in the first place is within the concept of friendship. He says it this way. It's the last thing I'll read. In John chapter 15, he says this to his disciples. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Right? All these things we're talking about, Jesus did. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. In other words, what we see in the gospels is that our God is a God of friendship. Right, the Trinity himself, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, knowing and loving each other in deep communion and deep friendship with one another. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, which we're going to start the book of Genesis in a couple of weeks, tells us that God created humanity in his image. Meaning if our God is a relational God, and there is no, then, then we need relationships with one another because there is no greater true friend to us Jesus. Jesus is the one that does this for us as we try to do this for other people. Now, the question is, what happens when you betray a friend and that isn't reconciled, right? Often what happens is that friendship can be ruined. It can never be the same. It can never be broken. And yet Jesus, who's trying to create this friendship with his disciples, is betrayed by by, by one of them. And then he's abandoned by the rest. And yet he still willingly gave his life, knowing what everyone was going to do to him. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate friend who is going to cleave to you at an infinite cost to himself. Jesus was wounded on our behalf so that you and I, I could be reconciled to God. Jesus, God the Son, had in a real sense a friend, his friendship with God the Father severed and broken on the cross as he took the sins of the world and the Father turned his, faith, his face away. And he did that so that you and I could have a friendship with God. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus himself was the true and perfect friend for us. Or put another way, Jesus was and is the perfect friend. The gospel is the God of all time, steps into our time to give his life, to die his death, to do everything perfectly on our behalf, not so that we have to achieve to get to God, but that God would come down to us to be our friend. This is who our God is. Is. And so as we talk about how do we be good friends to other people, where do we find the power to do so? It's not in white knuckling it and trying really hard. It's in following the way of Jesus, of loving, of forgiving, of extending, of becoming emotionally vulnerable with people around us so that we can love them the same way that Jesus has loved us. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Again, he says it this way. We think we've chosen our friends, but for Christians, they are strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies is always at work. Christ said to his disciples, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you. Can also say to every group of Christians, friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. And this, friends, is the amazing uniqueness of the church and of the local church. Because of Jesus, a group of people who do not always look the same, who do not think the same, who do not vote the same, who do not have the same amount of money, who would otherwise never be around each other, can become family because of what Christ has done for us. Because God has chosen to invite us in as friends. And so as I close this morning, I just want to do this. I want to give a quick, a quick, a few quick things, a few quick things on how to make good friends. How can we, if we read the things that we saw here, how can we actually, oh, this sounds really good, but how can we actually apply it in our lives? If I can, I just want to give you a couple of quick things. I would say this. Number one is I would encourage you to commit to the gathering of the local church. 
Again, spontaneous and repeated interactions. This is one of the few places in our culture where this can still happen. And I, and I think there's a lot of reasons why we might not have friends, but some of the reasons, if we're honest, it's on ourselves. And so I just want to say this, if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't have, we are pro-Jesus. We're not pro-New City, we are pro-Jesus. There's a lot of amazing churches here in the Raleigh area. But I would just, here, here would be my challenge for you. If you are a follower of Jesus or you're interested in trying to follow the way of Jesus, what would it look like? I know COVID has changed a lot of things for a lot of people. What would it look like to commit to, to, to joining the local body, worshiping with your local body three out of four Sundays a month? The goal is not just to have a packed room and account. That's not the goal. The goal is to follow Jesus in community because Proverbs says your community will change your life more than anything else. And I just think if you, if you committed to that, three out of four Sundays a month, that's, there's a couple of five-week Sundays a year or five Sundays a year, but, or five, whatever. There's five weeks and whatever. I don't know. There's, sometimes there's more than four Sundays in a month. That, that's 39 out of 52 Sundays. You can still take your vacation. You can still get sick. You can still do that. But instead of saying, hey, as long as I have nothing going on and I'm not tired, I'm going to show up, that there might be times in order to commit to three out of four Sundays that I will re-alter my schedule. I will come home a little early Saturday night. I will come home a little early from that trip because this is so important. If you are desiring friendship, my challenge to you is to commit to the gathering of the local church and to show up three out of four Sundays. There is not a, I know there's exceptions, but of all the spiritual mature people in my life that I respect and looked up to, they all prioritize their local gathering. So I would encourage you to do that. Commit to the local gathering church. Number two, if you're not yet, I would encourage you to join a community group. You can text NCC groups to 97,000 at any time, but to Today's a great day to do it. We're re-kicking them off. We have different nights of the week. Some meet every week, some meet every other week. We can get you connected to people who will actually care for your soul, who will actually love you, who actually want to hear what's going on in your life. And you can do that the same. So if you're new to New City, you're trying to figure out this church thing, just text that number, NCC Groups to 97,000. Join a group. They start this week and get a part of a community consistently where people can speak into your life. That's the second thing. Third thing I would say is this. Ask someone to be your friend. And here's the thing, now is not that awkward because we all just heard it or watching online, like we're all in the same boat here. Ask someone to be your friend. A couple of years ago, I have a really good pastor friend of mine. He, he's the one, one of the people that comes to mind with me as I read these things. Because if you're married, the answer cannot just be your spouse. You need to have some other people in your life. A couple of years ago, I don't know if it was him or me, but we were like, hey, bro, we need, I need a pastor friend that I can meet with regularly. And we've gotten together every other week, not this week because of this guy. That was great. Um, for, oh, for about two and a half years now. It's in our schedule. It's in our calendar. Every other week, we spend 90 minutes together talking about life, ministry. And I get your, your job thing. It might be, might be different. It doesn't have to be every other week. But it was, it's consistently and it's changed both of our lives. What would it look like to say, hey, I just need a friend. I think the person that you're saying it to would probably say the same thing to you. To ask. And then number four, here's the last thing I would say. I would encourage all of us to commit to showing up. Um, commit to showing up. I, just to, again, just to be honest, this is an observation I've made as six years, last six years as a pastor, um, that this is a defining characteristic between those who have community and those who do not. Uh, both Christina and I, myself have had countless conversations over the years of people who said, I don't have friends and I need friends, which is a great first step. But then those same people will text an hour before, hey, I can't make it. Will say, hey, I'll let you know if I can make that thing, I'm not sure. Or there will be things that come up that they don't want to go to. So they don't go to it. I don't really feel like going to that wedding or to that baby shower or to that event. There is going to be times in community where you don't want to do that thing. 
but for the sake of friendship in the community, you still need to go up and show up and do it. And so I would just, in our flaky last minute texting culture, I, would, I wouldn't do that. I would let your yes be yes or let your no be no, but no more flaking out. I think if we committed to those things, we would have more friends. Here's the deal as I close, we need each other and, in a, and we are a lonely culture and very few people couldn't use another friend. And so my prayer for us is that we would do these things. Um, A good litmus test as I close, a good litmus test, I think, or a differentiating differentiating factor between just like a a friend or a companion that you kind of know and a really good friend is is this. A lot of of times when life is hard, a good companion, and this is nothing wrong with this, will say, let me know if I can do anything. A true friend will say, will show up without being asked. And I, if I could, this was made really real to me when I lost my dad to a suicide when I was 19 years old. And a lot of well-meaning, great people, I, and I'm sure I've done this too with others, say, hey, if you need anything, let me know. But if you've ever been through deep grief, you know, that is one of the worst things you can say to somebody. You're, you've got all this other stuff going on. I'm not gonna burden you. I'm not gonna ask. I'm not gonna, no, I'm not gonna do that. But there were people who just showed up. I remember a couple of days um, after my father passed away, someone showed up with a lawnmower and mowed our grass. I remember uh, a few days, uh, about a week later, one of my really good friends, he showed up to my house and he said, Dylan, we're, we're, go- we're gonna go have dinner. We're gonna hang out. And we're not gonna talk about your dad if you don't want to. He, he didn't ask if I was in the mood. He just showed up and he just did it. And again, you cannot do this for everybody, but are there people in your life that you would say, yeah, I'm showing up. That's a great litmus test of whether or not they are a close friend. And I think some of the things that we talked about today is what it looks like to make it happen. So I would show up, I would join a group, I would make your local community a priority and I would tell someone, hey, I need a friend. Would you pray with me?